Welcome back to He Leadeth Me, a spiritual formation podcast for Focus staff, students, and friends. I'm Jessica, Focus's Manager of Spiritual Formation, and today I am here with Sister Gianna of the Resurrection Heinemann. Sister Gianna is a member of the community of the Carmelites of the Sacred Heart of Jesus of Los Angeles. Sister has been a member of that community for 14 years, and before that, she was a student at South Dakota State University where she was involved with Focus. And a fun fact about Sister Gianna is that she was discipled by Michelle Dupong. So thank you, Sister, for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Jessica. And Sister, what I wanted to talk to you about today was your relationship with Michelle Dupong. It's kind of rare that we would have a friend who passes away and their cause is opened for canonization. It's really exciting for Focus, and we pray that God's will is done as they are investigating Michelle's life. I personally hope that it moves forward, but a lot of people are interested in learning about Michelle, this woman who is from a very small town in North Dakota, lived a short life, passed away at 31. For many of them, there's not much that is known about her. And yet, they're intrigued that a woman who only lived to be 31 years old could attain such a high degree of sanctity. So I wanted to talk to you today just about your relationship with Michelle. So first, tell us, you were discipled by her. You were friends with her, obviously. So what all did that entail? Well, we had the joy of receiving focus at our university in 2007, and Michelle was part of that inaugural team. I was a junior, and so I had already heard about Focus. My brother had been impacted and a real conversion, reversion back to the faith through Focus. I had been to a seat conference, so when I heard they were coming to town, I was so ready to just dive in and get involved. So Michelle was the first missionary I met of those four that came, and wow, it was so amazing. That was you know, late August 2007. And what's interesting is about three months into our journey with Focus, you know, students are getting involved, we're starting Bible studies, we're learning about the commitment of prayer, and it wasn't going very well. There was a division between Focus coming in and the students. And honestly, it was on our part, the students. We were all going to our priest chaplain saying, Father, focus, they're coming here. They're stirring up everything. They're challenging us. They're, you know, asking us to pray and it's just too much. And so we actually had a meeting in November around this time. And so Father got the missionaries, including Michelle and many of us students, maybe five or 10 of us all together. We sat down and had like crucial conversation you know, this isn't going well. We need to talk and find out what's what's going on. And we identified that the evil one was really drawing in division and trying to thwart his mission, which Focus was an instrument of. And Jessica, from that point forward, the ministry just exploded in graces. We apologize. We work through our differences. We realize that the evil one was trying to steal our graces of communion and prayer. So 
I wanted to mention that just for those who experience this kind of battle. And I think it was a really good sign. And then from that point forward, I just really bonded with Michelle and she became my best friend, really. So tell me about that friendship. What did you guys do together and what impact did she have on your life at that time? Well, we began meeting weekly and what struck me about her is her simplicity and her joy. She grew up on a farm just like I did and we clicked immediately and she really drew me deeper into humility and also evangelical focus. So just moving out of yourself, self-preservation and moving out to the other. And Michelle was so intentional about getting all of her disciples together and really encouraging and supporting one another. We had weekly meetings down in the basement at the Newman Center, which were like spiritual accountability. And she would read from Ephesians 6. It was so inspiring. She, every week we'd read that, the sword of truth, the put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. And we would draw penances, all of us. And, you know, sometimes it would be like a crossword puzzle every day or no coffee for a week, which that one was really hard, or get up right when your alarm clock went off. And we just had so much fun and laughter. Like these were little things that we could offer to Jesus. And every week also, Michelle would give us a fervorino saying, Christ has the victory, but this is a battle for souls. Like he has won but we need more souls on our side. So let's win them for Christ. And she was really into all the battle imagery. And it was, it was so beautiful. And especially battling through the gift of our femininity, because obviously we, are, we were all the women gathering together and realizing that Our Lady is just drawing us into manifesting her maternal presence in the world. So there was an aspect of spiritual motherhood that Michelle really taught me. And another example I can give on that is I went with Michelle on a women-only focus mission to the Bronx. And one of the nights, I think it was one of the first nights, we were all sitting in a circle sharing about, you know, what do we hope to get out of this mission? And one comment that Michelle made really struck me and has formed me in my religious life. And that is, she was talking about the gift of our femininity. And even as women, like a monthly reminder, sometimes we have pain and cramps. And she was saying, you know, that's a gift from God to receive those. It reminds us of the sacrificial nature of motherhood. We're all called to be mothers. And that memory came so strongly to mind in her sickness and her death. Like she just was a spiritual mother to souls and she, she just jumped into Jesus's arms in life and in death, truly. And he made her fruitful in, in souls. And I know mine for sure and many others. Yeah. Now, I believe that Michelle always wanted to be a wife and a mother, correct? Yes. Did you have any contact with her during her year of illness when in that major surgery they had to remove her womb? Mm-hmm. Did she talk to you about that at all? I didn't have a conversation specifically about that, but 
my memory of being on our mission trip and hearing about the spiritual motherhood and reading because her sister and, and family would write entries on Caring Bridge online and so many people could keep up with her journey. So I knew that, wow, what a, what a sacrifice and her spiritual motherhood just explodes from there once the Lord in his permissive will, you know, she had to relinquish all of her feminine organs. So I saw her right before she got sick. And I was a sister by that point. And she said to me, sister, all of the young women I mentor enter religious life. And here I am, you know, but she was still very committed to being a wife and mother. And we realized later on within the year that she belonged to Jesus and he fulfilled her desire. Yeah, I can't imagine what suffering she must have gone through being somebody who always wanted to be a wife and a mother and then having to lose her womb, lose her fertility there. And yet she never complained. She never got angry at God, which is just remarkable that she was so resigned to God's will. Now, Michelle always knew that she wanted to be a wife and a mother. Did you always know that you wanted to be a religious or was that vocation that blossomed during your time of friendship with Michelle? Definitely the the latter. It blossomed for sure under Michelle because she created such a safe place in our friendship. Like I really consider her one of my best friends. It's hard to lose her. And the beauty of our friendship now, she's in eternity. But yes, I had not grown up with religious at all. And Michelle, what I'm so indebted to her for is during my junior and senior year, we really, we really packed in a lot during that time with focused ministry on campus and off campus. She would take us on road trips and expose us to other religious communities, those that had impacted her life, community of St. John, the School Sisters of Christ the King, just different ones around the Midwest. So I came to know religious, which is really crucial as a young woman discerns and develops a call in her heart, you know, under the Lord's direction. So she really encouraged me in that for sure, especially with her commitment to like heroic sacrifice, because that's necessary for any vocation, but with a special emphasis on the consecrated vocation. So can I share a little bit about her fraternal correction? Yes, please. <laughs> I've heard that she would not shy away from giving people fraternal corrections. Yes. So I was actually already discerning our, our Carmelite community out in Los Angeles. And the probably the very last place on the planet that I wanted to go was Los Angeles. But God was calling me. He was calling me out, out there. But I went with her and another one of her disciples to the Twin Cities. My fellow disciple was discerning the missionaries of charity. So we went and saw some of Michelle's family and went to the MCs. And the whole weekend, I was really struggling and taking the, the battle within and really becoming disengaged and not moving out and like, you know, meeting her family for the first time. And she was really happy to have us there and continue to evangelize her family. And But I was pretty listless. And when we got back to the Newman Center, she came up to me and she said, 
it really hurt me that you didn't move out and welcome my family. And the pain of that truth was very painful, but I also received it with such love. I thought, wow, how she loves me, how Michelle loves me to say something like that. And, and I just responded, thank you for letting me know. I'm, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And, you know, she forgave me and our, our bonds were strengthened in friendship. That's beautiful because a lot of times when we're friends with someone, we think, oh, I'm not going to tell them when something bothers me because I don't want to disturb the friendship. But Michelle did tell you when something bothered her, not for her own sake, but for your sake, so that you could continue to grow in love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. She had such a selfless view. And I know she suffered a lot. And she, you know, had her own difficulties and struggles that she would voice, which is very healthy. As human beings, we need to share that, oh, I'm really struggling to not judge that person. And she would share those things with me as a friend. And, you know, I'm having a hard time receiving God's love. You know, she would say these things, giving me an example of humility. When her weaknesses would show, she would apologize and move on quickly. You know, because holy people, it's not that they don't sin, it's that they receive God's forgiveness and move on and move out of themselves. So she, she always really gave that example. And can I share a little bit about how she was with non-believers? Yes, please. Non-Christians. That was, cause obviously they can't, they can't receive that level of, let's say, fraternal correction. They need to be warmed with gospel love. So Michelle was so, it was so neat to see her in, let's say we walk into a room, she would look for the most outcast or the most hard-hearted there, and she would go and be with them and just melt them with her kindness and joy. And then they would like catch her joy and laughter and she would just love them into places of being more open to God's grace, never judging. She just was so, so very humble and hidden. So it was like, you know how people say, you walk into the room and you see the person that lights up the room and is the life of the party. She wasn't necessarily that. She wasn't this super charismatic person, but she was often hidden and quiet and felt like she didn't have the words to say in a talk or, she, you know, she felt things that we all do. She didn't shine everywhere, but in a, in a hidden way many times is what I saw. That's such a wonderful example. And it teaches us that every person, no matter what their personality type is, can be very holy. Like St. John Paul II was the super charismatic person. And when people were in his presence, they would start crying. But God can make any person holy. And Michelle was not the super charismatic person, and she was more introverted, and yet she was also very holy. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned something that I want to come back to. A saint is simply a story of God's redemption in a person's life. It's a story of salvation. And that means that the person didn't start off perfect. They needed to be saved by Jesus. 
And so you said that Michelle would work on her faults. Do you remember any particular fault that Michelle struggled with that she worked on? Maybe some of our listeners would like that example. Mm. Oh, that's a good a good question. I don't think she ever shared with me like her dominant fault. I would say, as I do also, we kind of shared in the struggle together, that discouragement, mm. uh, which is really rooted in pride, to continually, I think that's a theme here I hear coming out of what I'm sharing, like to move out of yourself, to not be discouraged when, oh, only one person in the Bible study showed up. And to not get your eyes back on yourself, but keep them on the Lord and surrender to Him. So that may be one. I don't know, Michelle, if there's something else. <laughs> no, I think that's a wonderful point. And I was talking with one of her sisters recently, and the sister told me that a woman had said, oh, Michelle battled with cancer, but she lost that battle. And the sister said, it was never really a battle mm. with cancer. It was a battle with discouragement, and mm. she won that battle. Yeah. And yes, she was tempted towards discouragement on certain days, but she made a choice to trust God and to have mm. hope in Him. Mm. And that's one of the reasons why mm. even up to the days leading up to her death, people would ask her, how can we pray for you? And she said, for healing, because mm. uh, she was completely resigned to God's will. But at the same time, that prayer for healing was an act of the virtue of hope. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. During her year of suffering, she went to many cancer clinics around the United States. And I was really following her online and in prayer, for sure, with all of my Carmelite sisters in Los Angeles. And there was one, I don't remember quite when it was, but Michelle was at Mayo Clinic. And our mother general, Mother Gloria Trez, happened to be there with another sister. And so I called mother and I said, can you go and, and visit Michelle? And she was able to do that and to pray with Michelle. And what she shared with me, what Mother Gloria Tres shared with me after that visit is just what you mentioned, like this incredible resignation and surrender. Mother felt that she was truly walking into a chapel when she went to visit Michelle. And her incredible loving surrender during that whole last year. Like I just remember she was diagnosed on December 29th and her funeral was the following December 29th. And that that was like a year of great suffering and great glory for God because of her willingness to accept God's will and not her own. Absolutely. Now let's talk more about that year of suffering. She received the diagnosis of cancer. We read in the lives of the saints, that it's really our trials and our sufferings that God uses to shape our souls into a likeness of Jesus. And so you knew that your friend was a holy person, that she was striving for holiness, but odds are she wasn't a saint yet. That I'm guessing that it was that year of suffering that really transformed Michelle into a saint. Can you tell us what you remember about that transformation process? In her soul during that time? Yes, definitely. My my sister, blood sister, Kim, had the opportunity to go to it was it was like a, 
a ball or some type of fundraising event for Michelle. It might have been one of her last public appearances, but she was dressed like a princess. I'm sure many people have seen pictures of somewhere in North Dakota and Michelle was sitting in the corner, long white gloves, a tiara. And I saw pictures of this. So, you know, vicariously, I'm receiving this. So my sister met with Michelle. There was a long line the entire night to just go and greet Michelle. And my sister was one of the last ones, I believe. And she was struck how exhausted Michelle was. But just, again, pouring herself out into each person smiling, having a smile on her face when she was probably in deep pain and great suffering, but she was offering it for all of these people. And the people were very moved, as my sister shared. And she just really shined in that hidden kind of way that that last year of her life was the year of glory for her. When Michelle passed away, And then five years later, you heard that her cause was being opened. What did you think? I was not surprised at all. The only thing I was surprised about was the timing of it. I was amazed it was so soon after her death. And I thought, well, maybe it won't be in my lifetime. But since her death, which was very hard for me, very, very hard for me. You know, you're happy about a holy person being with Jesus, their ultimate fulfillment, but the sadness of separation of your best friend. So I really grieved. I was kind of amazed how much I grieved. But right away, I knew that her cause could be opened one day. Like based on all of these conversions and special favors that are happening. So since that day of her death, I have almost daily, not stopped talking to her every day and asking for her prayers. Before she got sick, she took a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and she wrote me a letter and mailed me a leaf from an olive tree in the Garden of Gethsemane and actually have that in my pocket right now. I've been carrying that in my pocket since the day of her death. Who knows if it could be a relic one day, God willing. And I would pray for her during that year with that leaf and just considering the, the beautiful transformation of her suffering that happened. But yes, and I also wrote down all of my thoughts and remembrances of her. And I shared with her, her family who had, I had gotten to know well. So it was really amazing. And, and to hear the news, I was like, Michelle. You are so amazing. And just this sense of, uh, of hope is, is born again because all that she went through was for a greater purpose. And to see so many beginning to ask for her prayers, so beautiful. I have to admit, I had one contact with Michelle very early on in her year of suffering. And I didn't know her well when she was in focus. I knew of her and we'd had to exchange emails a few times. I knew she was a holy person, but when she passed away, there were people already whispering, you know, like, I think Michelle could be a saint. And Mm. I was kind of skeptical because I'm like, okay, is this just focus wanting a saint? Or when somebody passes away, and especially if it's an untimely death, are people kind of saying, oh, this person was a saint, but they're trying to be complimentary. Mm -hmm. And 
if you pressed them, so do you really think the Vatican should come out and investigate this person? They'd be like, no. And, you know, if I passed away at my age, people would probably say, oh, Jess was a living saint. But then if you press them, so you think that the Vatican should open the cause, they'd be like, oh, it's cute that you're saying that. Mm -hmm. But it would never pass my community because they know me, they see my faults, and Mm -hmm. they know that I'm not a saint. But the thing that made me pause and begin to question was that the people who were closest to Michelle during that year of her suffering all said, yes, I think she's actually a saint. Hmm. So I'm sure that as a sister in a religious community, you've seen many holy deaths, like your older sisters who have spent years in religious life have passed away and they've had truly holy deaths. And yet you're probably not thinking that you need to notify the Vatican Mm -hmm. for those sisters who have passed away or priests that you know who have passed away. Mm -hmm. And yet for Michelle, you are saying, I knew that they were going to open her cause. So that's really remarkable. Can you tell us why do you think Michelle had heroic virtue and not just very beautiful holiness Mm. like other people? Mm, That's a really good question. I I do get that all the time, or I offer, I offer my thoughts on it so as not to confuse people because anyone in heaven is, is a saint, as we know, but the church on earth needs examples from different walks of life, different states of life. I don't want to use the phrase like the stars were all aligning <laughs> because that's not what we believe, but for Michelle to hear that she was a young woman single, actually waiting, you know, still in waiting for her vocation, committed and hopeful towards the Lord and His plan for her life. We don't have many, many of those saints right now, and there's a great need to have those examples to hold up. And so, that's that was a reason why I knew Michelle, because you're right, we, we all know a lot of holy people and saintly people, the unnamed saints who we celebrate on November 1st in heaven. So, but Michelle, I think also in her humility, wouldn't mind being an example because, you know, all the like the fame of holiness, they say, you know, the rep- reputation for holiness has only grown since her death, which is really a sign the church has looked at and, and needs to continue to look at as devotion to her grows. So, you know, we need, we need examples of young, fervent women. So, and I know every young woman that almost every young woman that I encounter and get into a deep conversation with, I will end up telling them about Michelle and their eyes light up. They're so happy to hear like, wow, she made it. She, she did it. She ran the race. You know, that was her favorite verse from St. Paul. So she's a beautiful example. So that's why, that's why I thought, oh, Michelle, you've, you've done it. This is, this is amazing. The church, the church needs examples like you. So we'll see how the church and her wisdom proceeds. And to wrap things up today, what's one thing that you would want our listeners to know about Michelle and her example? I think she is a wonderful person to ask prayers for interpersonal difficulties, which we all have many of them. Reconciliations in family, friends, 
whatever. She's a great, a great intercessor for that. And I have received favors for that. Another thing is to ask her to pray for your vocation. Because another way my devotion to her increased so much after her death is I was really in the middle of my discernment to become a Carmelite sister in years of initial formation, which we have a 10-year process to become a perpetually professed Carmelite. And I made my perpetual vows in 2019. But the years leading up to it at different points, there can be some real difficulties and internally trying to integrate and reconcile what God is asking of you, this, this kind of totality that he's asking you to give over. And Michelle, I, I just felt her encouragement so much. And, you know, I would talk to her and I would say, but you were a late person. How can you, how can you understand me in this consecrated life? And, you know, I just, I felt her saying, I know now, I, I know now what it's like to belong to Jesus and you can, you can do it. So I felt her encouragement very much in helping me to respond to my vocation through all of the spiritual battle. Beautiful. Now, you mentioned intercessory prayer. I want to encourage all of our listeners to ask for Michelle's intercession for your vocations and for anything that you think would be particularly dear to Michelle, like the cause for fertility. She always wanted to be a mother. And so you can pray to Michelle for babies. But for anything on your heart, I encourage you to pray to Michelle, and especially if there are any people who have illnesses that are life-threatening, that is what is needed for a miracle. So in order to become beatified, Michelle has to have a miracle. She has to have a miracle attributed to her intercession. And of course, as desperate as some of you might think your vocational situations are, they sadly do not count towards miracles. But The thing is, we can't actually know if Michelle is a saint. Now, in this process, they'll review her writings and make sure that they're free from error. They will interview people to ascertain if she showed heroic virtue. But it says in the scriptures that only God knows the heart of a man. And so really, it's heaven who has to confirm for us, yes, this person is a saint. This person is in heaven. And heaven does that by granting a miracle through the person's intercession. And so we don't know if Michelle is a saint, but we would love it if she was. I certainly hope that she is. And how we can go about doing that is if people ask for her intercession and then they report any favors or miracles received to the postulator of her cause. And if you have Michelle's prayer card, the email address to report miracles to is on the prayer card. So please pray to Michelle. And thank you so much, sister, for joining me today. It's such a gift to hear about how Michelle helped you in your own life and about just your very beautiful friendship with her. Yeah, thank you for having me. I love to talk about her and for so many others to befriend her now. I share her with the world. Yes, well, and Michelle believed in evangelization through friendship. The more people who befriend her, the more she will share the gospel with you and intercede for you that you can receive it in a deeper way. 
So, all right, that's our show today. Everybody ask for Michelle's intercession and thank you for listening. Well,